thank you for dialing in. This is on Call with Dr. Larson, episode 11. I've had about over a year off of this podcast, and uh, kind of my number one rule in podcasting is have something to talk about. I stopped taking call at the hospital full-time and have devoted everything to elective practice and have incorporated into my practice a big dose of regenerative medicine. Regenerative medicine involves the engineering of or replacement of human cells, tissues, to enhance performance, to enhance recovery, to repair injury, to help you get better in a different way than I normally would do with surgery. And what drew me to regenerative medicine was my own experience in dealing with some orthopedic ailments, in particular a knee. I won't go through that whole story of what happened, but over a knee injury, actually over a attempt, a successful attempt to qualify for Boston Marathon and run the Boston Marathon, I risked my own knee that had some, I did two surgeries on my knee and uh, like a lot of us have knee pain related to some degenerative findings in the knee, some arthritis, some torn meniscus, some loose ligaments. And I didn't want to get a knee replacement, but I really wanted to run the Boston Marathon and I knew it would wreak havoc. So I did some regenerative medicine injections, which at one point, when I first started, it involved hyaluronic acid, which is sort of like a, a cushioning material to help cushion the knee when I was training. And then I went on to have a allogenic umbilical cord blood injection. And umbilical cord blood, when you hear that, that's there's nothing ethical about that. Umbilical cord blood is derived from the postpartum umbilical cords of placentas and umbilical cords that are about to be discarded from that have are the results of a birth of a healthy baby. So these, they're just basically um, processed in a way that the healthy proteins are that are attractive to helping cells heal and regenerate are taken out. And whether or not there's stem cells in there, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody really is. Maybe there are, but there's certainly proteins that are angiogenic, proteins that are chemotactic, proteins that attract cells, proteins that help cells proliferate. In my case, it really helped my knee heal. So unfortunately, the FDA has stepped in with the growth of regenerative medicine. The FDA has stepped in with a department called Human Cells and Tissues, and they regulate how cells and tissues can be used, and that's for patient safety. And by and large, allogenic cells are no longer, to my knowledge, authorized for use inside the United States. I know that I had been using these successfully on my patients for some time, and then it was one Monday morning, I got a phone call from the company that was supplying me with the umbilical cord blood derivative, saying we can't sell, we can't ship it anymore, something with the FDA. So I stopped using it because it was not available, and the FDA stepped in and said, we don't want you to do this. Instead, what they allow for are autologous cells. That means cells from you. They have to be your own cell, they put in some other criteria. They have to be cells from you that are taken from you and used on the same day. And they have to be minimally manipulated. And then they just has to be from homologous or like use. And so this, I've changed my practice up to use autologous cells. When I first started with autologous cells, I did what I've been doing for over two decades in the operating room, and that is do a bone marrow aspirate and then get what are called mesenchymal stem cells. 
um, from the bone respite and inject them. And in my cases, I would inject them into the disc space or the facet joints. And that really expanded into other joints like the shoulder. You can get phenomenal success with shoulder injuries. Um, that's a bit of a painful procedure though. You have to do a, a bone marrow aspirate and drive a needle into the, into the iliac crest, pull off bone marrow, and then process it and in a minimal manipulation method, get out the mesenchymal stem cells and reintroduce them. What I've gravitated to is fat, and that is uh, fat or adipose tissue, fatted adipose tissue, adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells, adipose-derived stem cells. And as it turns out, fat is a huge source of stem cells. In fact, it's the most abundant source of stem cells in your body. And the other thing about fat that's awesome is that it's readily available, whether you like that or not, it's there in you. It's easy to get with a simple liposuction and it's full of more than just stem cells. So by when I was doing a bone marrow aspirate and processing out the stem cells, in the case of fat, you obtain this part of fat called the stromovascular fraction. And what that is, is, is if you do a liposuction or lip kit, you get this lipoaspirate that contains fat cells or adipocytes, but it also contains all this fluid, which is rich in the adipose-derived stem cells. It has pericytes, it has cytokines and chemokines, it has uh, exosomes, and exosomes have all these nutrients in them that help, we'll call them nutrients, that help you regenerate tissue, repair tissue, and heal tissue. So the other thing about fat, these cells that are in fat, these adipose-derived stem cells, let me be clear, they're called adipose-derived stem cells because they behave immunologically and physically like mesenchymal stem cells. So they're called adipose-derived stem cells. But what they do, they're able to migrate to an area of injury. They're able to proliferate into the cell that was injured. They also can act in a, actually they can act in a paracrine fashion where they can secrete something and cause other cells to do things like heal. So it's, think of it as a way to enhance your healing. You're kickstarting your healing and in a very, very powerful way. Anecdotally, um, I've had tremendous success in all the patients that I've treated with adipose-derived stem cells. Everybody has improved, and some people have improved to the point where they've not needed a said surgery. So, for example, I've got shoulder patients who've been told by a phenomenal orthopedic surgeon in town here that they need a shoulder replacement. Um, a combination of cellular techniques that I performed on them, including the adipose-derived stem cells, combined with another cellular technique that's called extracorporeal shock wave therapy, or ESWT. ESWT is where you introduce a acoustic wave under a certain pressure to the skin and you can drive the pressure and you can change the frequency such that acoustic wave presumably acts on the cellular membrane and causes a reaction at the cellular level. So this is another form of cellular medicine that enhances angiogenesis neurogenesis, so you can grow nerve, you can grow blood vessels, you can heal, you can recover. It's been very effective. So the guys that have had a frozen shoulder and can't even get their hand behind their head. And after three, after a, a, a stem cell injection and three courses of ESWT, which is one time a week, 15 minute session, zero risk essentially, unless you're on blood thinners, you can get a kind of a substantial bruise. So we avoid blood thinners in that case. Um, uh, in, in, incredible recovery. 
And that same holds true to the, to the surgical cases that I perform, back surgeries. Um, it also holds true to a lot of other orthopedic um, surgeries. I first started using fat or orthopedic injuries. I first started using fat when I was doing skull-based surgery and would create these defects um, in approaches to the brain. So in the skull-based surgery, we're usually treating vascular lesions or tumors that are at the base of the skull. And to get to those locations, you want to get to the brain without it knowing you've been there. So you'll sacrifice the outer barrier. You'll sacrifice the face or you'll sacrifice the, the, the pre-auricular or the post-auricular area. And you might do, for example, an incision that goes, it's called a bicoronal incision where you can kind of peel the face down and take out pieces of bone and get into the underside of the brain, do your procedure and then close up. Well, that would cause atrophy in the tissues. So we started doing fat grafts. This would be, gosh, 1991 through, starting in 91 is when I started doing that. So that would be, what, 40 years ago now? 30, 30 years ago now. Um, and you'd get some success by taking fat and doing a fat transfer to this area. But it would, after about a year or even less, you might see that that fat would atrophy. And what's happening there is that it's, it's becoming ischemic. So you take a piece of fat and you move it to another place and it doesn't take, it doesn't develop a blood supply. It doesn't have nutrients going to it. It becomes ischemic and it, it atrophies. You, we, we countered that by doing actual what are called pedicle transfers. So we take a piece of tissue more from the area that was attached to a blood vessel and move it to where we wanted it to go. But that's very limited and it's much easier to take some fat from your, your, your flank or your medial thighs and move it to the face or to anywhere in musculoskeletal skeletal conditions that I'm talking about than it is to get one from that local area. Well, what's known about this stromovascular refraction that's in these lipoaspirate aspirate is that if you take that same bit of fat and transfer it to someplace else in the body and then take the nutrients that would come out of the stromovascular refraction, that is the adipose-derived stem cells, the pericytes, the exosomes, so on and so forth, the incidence of ischemia and atrophy is much less. I think the plastic surgery world has absolutely embraced this. And in days where you used to have to do a so-called facelift by you know, pulling, you doing a subtraction, you can do an addition. You can add and fill volume and change shapes and get probably pretty excellent results. And let's remember that's a that's a aesthetic thing. You're not treating a you're you're doing what you want to do for yourself, and it's what beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And if you can get that done in a way where you don't have to do this massive surgery with huge recovery and all the risks with that then so be it. Avoid the botch and uh, do something that's more regenerative, more natural. Same holds true to the muscle. That same process can be applied to the musculoskeletal disease conditions. Musculoskeletal disease is huge. It is the number one cause of chronic disability globally. It's a humongous impact. Um, and that's largely because our current treatments aren't enough to overcome the burden of musculoskeletal disease. I spent a career to this point treating the consequence of a disease, treating the problem of arthritis, treating the problem of degenerative disc disease, treating the end consequence, like a failed disc 
or a, uh, a failed joint for that matter. When you treat things at the cellular level, you now get to treat the cause of disease. And what's amazing is that all of these cellular treatments, and today we're just talking about the, largely about the uh, stem cell treatment, that drives stem cells. But all of the cellular treatments, extracorporeal shockwave therapy, hyperbaric oxygen, the red light therapy, the biologic injections, this whole multitude of things, they work at the cellular level and they don't care what they're treating. They're not particular to one thing. It's kind of like nurse surgery. When you're a nurse surgeon like me, it's cool because you treat the whole system. It's not like you're treating one part of the body. You treat the neurologic system, period. So you get, that entails, you know, everything's integrated. So you get this whole system. Well, when you're dealing with cellular medicine, you're treating the whole system. When I put somebody in a hyperbaric chamber for to try to enhance the stem cell treatment, you know, they come out there like in the best mood. They have their their memory is improved. They have their executive function. They feel well. That's because their whole body got oxygenated. They're, yeah, absolute, the biggest dose of oxygen that they probably ever felt. And they do that you know, 10 times over a month and it's this huge impact. And it's shown, you can look at a spec scan after doing a series of 10 of these and you can see increased blood flow to the hippocampus, which is where a lot of these cognitive functions occur. The fat deal is, what is also nice about getting stem cells from fat is that it's really easy on you. Where I mentioned that I'd have to do a bone marrow aspirate and pull off uh, bone marrow to do a mesenchymal stem cell injection. That works well in the operating room, patients under anesthesia. I'll do that if I'm trying to get a fusion to heal. I can, I'll mix those cells with the, the bone graft. Avoid the big bone graft from the, from the hip. Use a, a, a biologic, um, a synthetic or the local bone and then hit it with the mesenchymal stem cells from the bone marrow aspirate. Put that in and it's a, the success rate of fusion is, is extremely high. With, I'll, I'll now do, if I'm doing a um, foraminotomy on a patient, removing bone that's pinching a nerve. Well, that nerve is pinched not only because of this arthritic facet joint, but it's pinched because the disc has collapsed. So I'll do the foraminotomy, expose the nerve, and do a mesenchymal stem cell injection into the disc base. And in and, and a, a high volume of this, when they're under anesthesia, um, you can, you know, the, the, the disc hurts when you inject it hurts well when you're under anesthesia it doesn't hurt so when you're under anesthesia and I inject the disc I'll put a little lidocaine in there and inject the disc not so much that it will blow out the disc and I watch this by putting in a little tracer dye and then in, under fluoroscopy injecting the liquid the mesenchymal stem cells are, are liquefied and then get up to a huge I mean compared to what you would normally do in the office of about one cc to two cc's I've had cases where I've done 60 C's and that seems like a really high volume. I get it. It really does. But what I'm doing is I'm taking it to the gestalt feeling of the pressure and I'm watching the dye that it stays contained and it does. Patients come back with a little more bounce, if you will. You know, the, the disc is hopefully not going to further deteriorate. That is the goal. So that the, the, the axial or horizontal decompression I did of that nerve root doesn't get compromised by further degeneration of that disc. It'd be a nice way to treat that problem without doing a fusion. So um, in the office, as I said, bone marrow aspirates can be done, but they're just, you know, A, they're maybe not as comfortable as a liposuction, but B, it turns out that this fat has big promise. And we're in our 
early years of this, and I say early years, within a decade probably of heavy duty use. Um, the, I mentioned the FDA's regulation of this, and they want minimal manipulation. In other words, you, when you take this, these cells out of the body or this tissue out of the body, this liquid, this lipoaspirate from the liposuction, they want to be sure that you're not over manipulating those cells, that they are staying as they are, that you're not, for example, using enzymes to, to select out some and take others. So what's happened is industry stepped in and made minimal manipulation kits. So I've got one such kit here that I use. It's made by a company called Cellmix. For purposes of this podcast, I'll kind of give you a, sh if you're watching this, uh, it all starts out with a liposuction. And the liposuction, the way I do it, you can do it mechanically with a device that, asks, that, that, that actually sucks the cells. Um, but I use a, uh, what's called a tenescent liposuction. So a tenescent fluid is a bag of normal saline that has mixed in it some lidocaine, some bicarbonate. Bicarbonate takes away the sting of the lidocaine. If you ever get a lidocaine injection at the dentist or somewhere, you could, that sting is edged off by the bicarbonate. And it also has epinephrine that settles down bleeding. It's kind of constricts vessels. And what you do is you, you will numb the skin, make a little punch in the skin, and that's it. There's no other anesthesia than local anesthesia. Once you make that punch, you then use a needle with your solution and you get into the I, I i put patients on their stomach put them prone and i make a small midline kind of poke and then i push this off into the, the flank or the love handle and everybody's got them there's you can kind of use your hand to pull to bunch it up and then it's a matter of just filling this area with the fluid fit the fluid with the fluid do both sides let it sit and then there's another needle that has these holes in them and as it turns out these holes if you can see them the size the position the confirmation is proprietary to each company and then you use a special needle called Vecilock or special I'm sorry syringe is called Vecilock and what you do is you you can pop it like this lock it in place and then kind of fan it into the where you put that fluid and it'll pull this lipoaspirate into here, into the chamber under a certain pressure. And that pressure is appropriate to gather all the cells that you want, all the, all the other factors that I mentioned that you want without, without injuring them. They stay intact. And that's sort of, each company does it differently. I chose this route um, and have had success with this. It's painless, that, that, that solution that I put inside you, it sits in there for 35 to 40 minutes and it kind of does its thing. And you, it, you can't feel any of this, really. There's zero discomfort. Not a single person has complained about it or had a complication of infection or bleeding or anything like that afterwards. Once you get the solution, once you get the lipoaspirin, and again, that contains, now it's gonna have a little bit of blood. It's gonna have the tenescent solution that I put in. It's also gonna have the adipocytes going to have all the stromovascular fraction. You basically just let it sit for 10-15 minutes and it'll decant off so you'll have your fluid down low and your fat collection up top and once you have that you take one of these filters, there's two filters, 
this filter, you push off the fluid, keeping the fat, and then you wash this simply by what I would do typically is at this point, I would transfer this fat into another syringe like this one, and then take a syringe with solution and simply it's just washing it back and forth. Go through that process again of letting it settle. It settles, you run it through the filter again, and now you have this collection of adipocytes and the stromovascular fraction. So the next step is to take a cutter, and this is called the diamond cutter with this particular company, Cellmix. This cutter has, again, this proprietary blades inside here. And what we do in this version of preparation is you're gonna pass this through, and it'll be like kind of a yellowy fat looking fluid in here. You're gonna pass it through 20 to 30 times. And what this is doing is it's separating the adipocytes. So the fat cells themselves are being separated from their clumps. The stromovascular fraction is also separated up, but it's all intact. And at the end of this, you have a pure solution that can be injected. If you've got a little bit extra fluid in there and you want a drier, there's a tighter filter, the micro filter here, that you can push the fluid off through and retain all of that stromovascular fraction and the adipocytes. And as I said, this company chooses to separate the adipocytes. I like that because those adipocytes become sort of a scaffolding to this, to the nutrients. Okay, remember there's the adipocytes, there's the adipose-derived stem cells, and there's all of the other nutrients, the exosomes, the pericytes, cytokines, chemokines, all the growth factors, they're all in here. And this is ready to go. It's sterile, it's been minimally manipulated, and now it needs to be injected same day. If you're going to get a regenerative injection, and your guy or gal pulls this fluid out of a freezer and thaws it, is likely not following the guidelines of the FDA. And I'm not here to you know, banter that or anything, but I'll tell you that I don't do that. Um, that's what I, when it was allowed, I did that, um, not anymore. So it's like those same day use. There is enough generally to do, in my case, I'll be doing somebody's spine. So I might be doing two facet joints and a disc base, yes, I joint or a shoulder, or a knee, or an elbow, or an ankle, you know, or a hip. All of these are, are do really well with an injection like this, and they're phenomenal gap procedures. Let's talk gap procedure. Let's say, let's just agree that you might need a total knee replacement. Studies show that if you're trying to go the non-operative route and avoid that knee replacement, current line of conventional medicine that your doctor is going to feed you is usually a steroid injection. No, don't do it. Get off of that. Those steroids will do nothing but degrade you. And if you, there's studies that show if you were to get a single adipose-derived stem cell injection into that knee or the you know, three or whatever you would be prescribed over a year of the corticosteroid injections into that knee, you are much better off 
after the year, at the end of that year, you feel better with a fat-derived stem cell injection. You feel worse with a corticosteroid injection. You might even stave off or extend the gap year, the gap time, with the adipose-derived stem cells. So biologics versus steroid, absolutely, if you're given the chance. Now, if you have an acute injury and have inflammation and it's you know, a tendonitis that's acute, yeah, there's a role for steroid there. I, I do steroid injections as well. But if you're treating a chronic condition with steroids, it's just further deterioration, and you know it, and they know it, and you know this just this is a better gap procedure. So you also get enough that you can do more than one joint. And why waste it? You're already there in the procedure room. I do my injections under fluoroscopy. So whether I'm injecting a shoulder, a hip, a knee, or a back, I will do the fluoroscope. It's all sterile conditions and we'll use the x-ray to identify the joint, and then I'll advance the needle into the joint, inject a little bit of dye, actually aspirate first to make sure there's no blood uptake, so that you're in a void that is not a blood vessel, and then inject a little bit of contrast, and see that it goes in the joint, so like in the case of a hip, you're gonna watch this go around the femoral neck and up into the joint. In the back, you're gonna watch it fill the facets, fill the disc space, and not, keep, not exit it, and then inject the the biologic injection. If you um, are having this done, you know, I'll do two, maybe even three joints. I don't go beyond that. I'm not saying you shouldn't go beyond that, but my current philosophy is that your body can only heal so much at a time. And uh, that said, you know, two or three is generally, generally enough for that time. Um, after you have that, there's essentially no recovery time. It does take any cellular event you do to yourself. It takes about three days to recover from the cellular event, you know, the actual inject, whatever we did, the injection or the treatment. Um, it takes about three weeks before you see anything and about three months before you actually get a result to kick in. And that's pretty, pretty, pretty clear. At the three month mark, I see a follow up and if you're having uh, some success, they'll want to boost, then there's a role for something like PRP or platelet-rich uh, plasma. And platelets, you can easily get off of a blood draw. Platelets are these things that show up in the inflammatory cascade, release their factors to cause healing, and they can further improve this process. Works pretty well. So that's what is new in my practice. Um, we're, we're going to be podcasting um, regularly now again, and I'm going to be talking about things. Before I was talking about the week on call, I'll be talking about the 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 month at hand, if you will. And right now, I just finished a a, a LinkedIn Live event uh, for um, this this uh, this this process, and we had a lot of questions about costs about does insurance cover it is it covered again and, and the answer to that is no insurance is not covered is not an insurance and i've gotten away from you know you, you need health insurance i'm not telling you not to have health insurance believe me but i've gone out of network with health insurance companies not because i don't think you need them but because they i've been doing this now for over two decades and um the the process of authorization, the process of using new technologies, you know, they're out there and it's the insurance company is sometimes doesn't, doesn't, doesn't 
they are relying on information that may or not be scientific. They're relying on whatever information they use, and it's their right to do so. You signed up for it, but it may not be in line with what clinicians are thinking necessarily. So I will generally what I would do for you if I will see you, I will tell you about your options. I will try to get what I want to do for you authorized from your insurance company. And then you just have your relationship with them. They pay you and you pay me. That's how it, how it is. Um, biologic injections, for the most part, I've seen very few insurance companies agree to pay for those injections. Sometimes they'll pay for the anesthetic part of the injection, so you might get the injection paid for, or the um, the uh, anesthetic part of it paid for, which is a big part of the procedure. But as far as like harvesting the stem cells and that, that's not generally been my experience that at this point they cover that. And that cost is somewhere between three and five thousand dollars to do that. But think about this for a second here: three to five thousand dollars, and that's a lot of money. I'm not saying that, but you would otherwise have a deductible, an out-of-pocket maximum, and the downtime to get the procedure you're going to have. So, as I told you, I've not had a case where this doesn't improve the patient. Will it cure the patient? Yeah, we'll see. Does it have a chance? Yes, and it's the only thing that, has, that we know of that has that chance. Um, will you buy you time before you need a replacement? Sure. Is it better than corticosteroids? Absolutely. And is there big promise um, as we get better at um, recovering what cells are going to work best for you? Yes. So it's it's in it's very fair territory, and I think it's fairly priced for that matter. Um, other questions: Is this allowed in Canada? I don't know Canadian rules, but I do know that this kit is has the Canada equivalent of the FDA approval in Canada. Uh, do I need to go outside the country for this? No, you can do it here, you can do it safely, you can stay home and have this done. We talked about recovery time generally, stay out of the hot tub, stay out of the bathtub until those little pokes in your needle site heals. As far as downtime, what's the downtime? The only downtime you're gonna have is what your ailment is causing you. So that's a good measure. If you're not playing golf because your shoulder hurts or your elbow hurts, well, you don't have to not play golf because you had a stem cell injection or a biologic injection. You can go out there and do that. I'm not gonna hold you back after a few days of that. It's gonna work. These cells are gonna do their thing regardless of whether um, you, you are active or not. In fact, you should be active. That's one of the things that are very important, movement. Movement is one of the eight pillars of what you need for life. So stay out there and move. What else can you do to help your biologic injection? Well, number one, no steroids. If you've had a steroid injection or take steroids, it's 30 days off of them before I would consider giving you one. Number two is I typically put patients in the hyperbaric chamber before and after these treatments. The reason that is there's this paradox. It's called the hypoxic hyperoxic paradox. And in the hyperbaric chamber, you're getting heavily oxygenated. And my chambers, the way they work, is we pressurize to about two atmospheres with room air. So there's no toxicity to your the lens of your eyes or your, your lungs. There's, you don't have those risks that you would if you pressurize with oxygen. You pressurize with room air, and we have, you, we, we have you breathe through a mask about 20 liters of oxygen. So you get a really, really high FiO2, and it's felt that 
you actually don't need hemoglobin when you're at full oxygenation in there, that your plasma carries enough oxygen. And that's probably why you get so well oxygenated in every single organ in your body, because you have this, you know, this, you have this perfusion of oxygen in this plasma versus hemoglobin. So there's no obstruction to that getting across membranes and where it needs to go. You can, as I said, you'll see increased cognitive function because of the, uh, the blood supply to the brain. There's anti-aging effects. If you measure telomeres, which are, telomeres are these caps that are on the ends of chromosomes that shorten through the life of a chromosome. So as a chromosome is doing its thing and replicating, dividing, the telomeres caps get a little bit shorter. Well, hyperbaric oxygen, if you measure that, the telomeres will increase in size. Methylation of the DNA, another, another um, example or another um, attribute of younger DNA, healthier DNA, methylation increases after hyperbaric oxygen. Where the paradox I talked about come, comes in is if you, if you get a stem cell injection, you go in a chamber, and then what you do is you pulse the oxygen. You, you, have, you take the oxygen off, you have it on, off, and then on. What's happening there is your FiO2 is, all, is no matter what higher than it is standing outside the chamber in room air. But your body senses the withdrawal of oxygen with the, from the mask as a, as a stress. That is, it's measuring your FiO2 and it sees this index as going down. And your body responds to, naturally to that stress by increasing certain parts of your metabolism. Brain neutrotropic factor upregulates. That's why we get improved cognitive function. That's why people with strokes benefit, people with head injuries benefit, people with, people with dementia benefit. People with post-concussive syndrome benefit. You you have this paradox where you're you're instilling hypoxia by taking away the oxygen, but you're still hyperoxic. And what also happens is stem cell proliferative factor increases, and you get these stem cells to proliferate and hopefully do what they do to heal well. So that's I think going to wrap it up for today. I want to thank you for listening, and um, I'm going to be pretty adamant about uh, sharing my experiences with you in neurosurgery in this on call with Dr. Larson podcast. There'll be another one coming your way in a month. I haven't, uh, it'll move me to see what it's going to be about. And uh, please feel free to contact me if you've got any suggestions. As always, stay well and uh, take care of yourself. Dr. Larson, thank you for watching.